Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And um, we were, yeah, we just had some technical difficulties. Normally it'd be like, so that's our, uh, that's our intro music for today. Did you like it? It sounds a little bit good. like that Crazy Frog song from like 15 years ago. That, that one. That one. Anyway. So welcome to Real Faith with Robbie welcome. and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. I know I said that before, but just in case you, you kind of missed that, that's where we are. And um, yeah, super excited to be with you today. It's a, it's actually a real it's a it's a real throw off not having the theme music today because it's I've, usually what gets us like it's like in like my mind it's the, it's the switch that says it's time to do radio. Yeah. Although on the radio, I think the uh, in my mind the radio voice that would say that to me would be it's time to do radio. You know, it'd have to be like real deep and bassy, lots of resonance, lots of timber. Yes. But anyway, how are you going today? I'm doing really well, Robbie. And why are you doing so well? Not because this is bad. I like that you're doing well. But, you know, just elucidate us a little bit. I, oh, I was sharing today with some friends. On sharing the, is caring. That's a good thing to be doing. 3ABN. Uh, yep. And now what's 3ABN? So they're um, a Christian TV network. And yeah, they're here. Not They're just here in um, Morissette. And um, I went there, and we were unpacking um, the Sabbath school lesson, which is for next year. And so we're looking into the book of Hebrews. And I got to do that this morning um, with some old-timers, and it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. So 3ABN stands for Three Angels Broadcasting Network. And um, it's, yeah, a Christian broadcasting network. So if yeah. you want to check them out, you can check them out online. I'm assuming 3abn.com probably would get you there. But if not, search it on Google. I think it's the, a .org, but yeah. Dot cl- .org, yeah. something, dot something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you can find Just it Google. there. <laughs> check it out on the Google machine yeah. and uh, or your favorite search engine, <laughs> whatever that is. I don't even know if there are any other search engines these days. They, I think yeah, they've I kind of monopolized. So. But anyway, yeah. we've got a great show lined up for you today. We're excited to be here to continue our journey through John. I have mm. grown to love alliteration so much, meaning, mm. you know, when a word starts with the same sound as the next word, like, um, I just totally had a brain loss. Like I testified today, it's Norm the Storm. No, that, that no, rhymes, that, but that's oh, not alliteration. That's not alliteration. Journey, oh, Jeff, John, oh. Jeff. That's alliteration. That's what I was Jumping jacks. Anyway, jumping jacks. There we go. <laughs> Woo! So we're going to continue our journey through John today. We're a little bit out of it in the, in the studio today. Oh. I think it's the heat from, you know, we've been in the rain so much. We had a little bit of sunshine today. Mm. We're probably heat stroked. So keep safe out there. We're going to continue through John. We're in finishing John chapter 10 and then getting into one of the most exciting chapters of the book of John in my estimation. And that's John chapter 11. We're going to have our questions of the week opportunity to come throughout the show. So we'd love to hear from you at 0491-064-669 at any point. And this is Josh Garrett one of my favorites in the garden I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I falling on my son of God is And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tell you 
listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio, and uh, it has come that time of the show. <gasps> what? What time is it? What time? Not question of the week yet, uh, which is good because uh, we haven't gotten questions in just yet, so shameless plug. Make sure you yeah. send in your questions at any point during the show, and you can send those in to by calling or texting 0491-064-669. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions that you have on Bouncing around in the back of your mind, we'd love to hear about. Mm. Could be questions about God, spirituality, the Bible, etc. So it has come that time of the show where we talk about weird and wonderful world that God has made for us. And uh, what are the facts that you have for us today, Tash? Today, it's about revive. 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 That's that's almost like a radio voice. uh, Revive. Revive, revive. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I like it. I like it. Revive. Revive. All right, so what are we ta- what are we learning about revive or revival? Or revi- it's it's revive, and then we'll, we'll end with revival. Sweet, yeah. So there are some. There's a lot of things that you can't actually revive. So what, is, well, what does revive mean? To bring something back to life? Yeah, to bring something back to life. Revitalize it. Revitalize it. Put life back into it. Re-energize it. And there's some things you can't, but there's some things you can try. <laughs> there are lots of things that you can't. <laughs> some things you can try. For example, stale bread. If you add a little bit of water to it and put it in the microwave, it comes and then like put it through. Really? A, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Because you're just rehydrating. You're just rehydrating the stale bread. Yeah. You could probably do that in the oven. You could too. As yep. well. Definitely do that with in the like oven. A, with like a, a, an oven safe yeah. container sort of, to put some water in. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure it's oven safe. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to put plastic in there. Yeah, no, don't put plastic don't, in there. It won't be good. That'll make a mess. It will make a big mess. Okay, cool. What, what so else can you bread. revive? I'm excited. And, okay, we'll stick on the food. Because I don't like stale bread. Rice. Yeah, people don't like I don't mind it. Really? Because you can make bruschetta You're out of it. sick. No, no, no And it makes good toast. <laughs> That's why I love stale bread. Yeah, like, because, but, but when you toast it, it's okay. Because toast is 
dried, but it's it's different dry. It's not, it doesn't taste stale. Yeah, but it's still edible. It's crunchy. Yeah, but it's like anyway. But if you put it in the oven we and then dry it out, it's later. like really <laughs> nice and crunchy with some some butter. It's good. Rice also the same thing. Add a little bit of water. I once left a plant. I'd, I'd gone away for weeks, and I came back home. And my plant was like really, really, really sad. <laughs> it was so sad. That's a great sad. description. Like it was droopy. It just droops. That's what happens to plants when you don't water them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, if you don't water them long enough, they actually die. That's the same and get thing. get past the point of revival. Yeah. And it was <laughs> revival. Revival. <laughs> but it can happen because I, I, all I did was I just kept feeding it some water every day. I left it in the bathtub and let it run. That's, apparently that's good for it. And it, yeah, it came back to life. And it's still alive to this day. And we even wow. made another plant out of it. That's Not, cool. Like the other week. Okay. Re- you can also revive some fashion things as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, trends. Fashion goes in cycles. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and at the moment. At the moment. I don't know if I like the cycle that's come back I. around. It's just like. It's a little bit much. The 90s? And I'm like, no, <laughs> thanks. That's why I should have stayed in the Have 90s. you noticed this? Here's an interesting oh, commentary on so fashion. Have yep. you noticed that those cycles, they seem to be coming around more frequently, right? Does that make sense? So, yep. you know, what what would have taken 10 years to come back into Vogue is now taking like three years and yeah, wrapping true. around again and again and again and again. I think, yep. I wonder if social media and the rise of things like YouTube, et cetera, is just speeding things up. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just, that's my thought. I don't know. No, I definitely think People so. People had bell bottoms again. Whoa. Yeah. We had and those like in the flower, 90s, and then pants. before that, it was like the 70s. Yeah, so, so it's f- happening quicker oh. and quicker. Bell bottoms, flares. Actually, now that I think about that, no, no, the 90s power. was 20 years ago. Never mind. I'm wrong. The 90s was? More than 20 years ago. <gasps> I'm old. The 90s was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, maybe awesome. 25 years. So what else can we revive? Music. Yes. Revival in music, as in, for some reason, Stevie Wonder, he just keeps coming back. Like, some of the Jackson 5 songs... They were, it's from the 60s, but still super relevant. Still, no, 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 like good <laughs> oh, tunes. Like, oh, the, the music. I the music it, I is good. It. I thought yeah. you were saying that like ABC123 was still relevant today. And I guess it is. I it guess is. it is if you speak English. Depends where you are on the spectrum. I mean, like if, <laughs> on you're, the if you're five, yeah. if you're five, singing ABC123 makes a lot of sense yeah, it's good. when you're five. Yeah, it's good. Okay, another one is revival in trends. For example, like uh, during the pandemic, crocheting and knitting through the roof like you couldn't find a knitting that's needle because everybody was days. locked in their houses and they weren't allowed to go anywhere <laughs> <That's true. laughs> and there's only two things you can do in your house probably knit or yeah. watch television yeah and <laughs> live stream movies and make blankets and then or watch read more. the bible by the way and but just read in the case bible. you didn't know that you can reading yeah. books is a good thing it's true okay and i know everyone's I don't know if what you have planned for your summer plans. You might be traveling, journeying on some roads. There's also stop and revive stations. So you can get oh, like a, yeah. Yeah, free cups of coffee or tea or they have like, um, sometimes they have refreshments, which is really good because they want to keep you alive while you're traveling around out there on the roads. And my final one is the revival or the revive, which is like Christian revivals. It's when this is the best one. I'm going to put it out this, there. This is the best one because this is when like <laughs> your your Christian life is kind of lethargic or it's kind of slow or you've been away from God for a bit. And then like Psalm 85 verse 6 says, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? So it's good, like, which is great when we're, we're coming to Christmas and just, just a reminder of like, hey, Jesus was born and he came here and he came as a kid. Died like lived lived like one of us and then died like like one of us and then he 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 lived and so that's the coolest thing that we could add to uh, our revival. So wherever you are thinking about revive, keep alive this summer. Yeah.
God, for the Son of Thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us For the spirit of light Who has shown us our Savior And scattered our night Hallelujah Find the glory Hallelujah Amen Hallelujah Find the glory It's a real faith with Roby and Tash, and this is Faith FM. Now it's time for our testify. Now you. testify is a time where we get to hear from real people because this is real faith, and not just that their journeys and on their life with God. And sometimes it's an answer to prayer, a God moment, part of their testimony. But through it, we get to hear from this guest um, just what God is doing in their life. And so, who do we have there? Today Hello. we've got Norm, I believe. Ooh. Hello, hello, Norman here. Hello, Norman. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. It's good to hear from you, Norm. Yeah. Just uh, if you for our listeners, we we know you a little bit, but just want to tell our listeners um, a little bit about yourself. Okay, my name is Norman Hurlow. I live in Kurumbong in New South Wales, and. I have a lovely wife and two kids, a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. Beautiful. We're so glad that you could come on the show with us today. And um, 
we just want to hear your story or your, whatever you're going to share with us today. So I'll just give you the time now. And I know that also right at the end, you're going to plug something that's really cool, but I'll leave it all to you. Awesome. Sweet. Hey, yeah, probably the thing that I want to share. So um, one thing I didn't share about me is I work as a minister of religion, so as a pastor at a church here in Kurumbong. And so part of what I do is going around um, wanting to inspire people, connect people to um, God and to faith and to help people in their journey. And it's always a challenging thing. You're not quite sure whether what you're doing is making a difference. Because what I firmly believe is that what I want to bring to people, what I want to bring to my community is something that makes a tangible difference in their lives. And um, the one day I was, and it's kind of the wrestle for me in this space was around purpose. And I know a lot of us often wrestle with that idea of purpose. Is what I'm doing meaningful? Does it matter? Does it make a difference? Um, And one day I was kind of wrestling with that because often, you know, my job and, and what I'm doing, my passion takes me to different places where I speak in front of people or speak in front of young people. Um, where I teach a bit and this one particular time went over to New Zealand and did some speaking over there. Um, but I was wrestling with, man, is this making a difference? And a verse came to mind and I hope, is it okay if I share that verse with you guys today? Please yeah, do. Yeah, please. Yeah, it was um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. And this was Paul the Apostle and he was writing to the church in, in, in Corinth, and he made this statement. He said, I plant the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And, um, you know, spent a lot of time and energy in preparing things, talking to people, and you wonder, man, is it making a difference in people's lives? You don't often see the, the results of of what it is you're doing. And so that gave me a bit of encouragement going, hey, you know what, maybe I've planted some seeds, but I'm going to rest and lean into God who's going to make it grow. Then I got this message a few months ago from a young guy in New Zealand, and here's what he shared. He said, Norm, bro, hope you well. Bro, I just wanted to say that I'm getting baptized on Saturday and that you played a role in that. It's been something I've been thinking about for quite a few months and the message you shared a few years ago um, struck home to me. The idea of living a life that wasn't fake but that was real definitely um, lent into my story. Then he said the line that stuck with me was the path of least resistance always comes at the cost of influence and he said I want to have a life of influence and so I'm going to give my life to God and build his kingdom. And I was sitting here wrestling with, man, is what I'm doing making a difference? Read that verse and got that message from this young man. And I realized, you know what? We don't know what impact what we do does has on people. We don't know the impact of little things. Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's an act of kindness. Maybe it's a word spoken into their life, but it is never in vain. Um, my mother-in-law has a saying, which she always says, she says, whatever you do when you meet people, love. And even if you love with no return, because love is never in vain, even if you love with no return. And so this was just testimony to that. And so I just wanted to share that with everyone and say, hey, 
I want to encourage you in whatever you're doing, um, even though you might not see the fruits of it at, in this season and at this time, um, it is not in vain because it is going to make a difference and an impact in someone's life. So keep doing it. Amen. Amen. What a- now I'm... Yep. I was just like, thank you for sharing. Gonna... No, no. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we finish? Hey, the one thing I want to say, one way we also want to make a difference in our community around here, um, South Lakes Incorporated are caring for the people of um, Lake Macquarie. And in this Christmas time, giving them some Christmas hampers, um, some much needed food. And they've had an overwhelming um, amount of people come and say, hey, we need a bit of um, food support this Christmas. They normally do 600 hampers. This year they had requests for over 900 and still more. And so we're just raising some some funds for that. Um, and if anyone would love to support and bring some Christmas cheer to some of the families in need around Lake Macquarie, we'd love for you to jump onto that. And if, you can find that on our Facebook page, um, Avondale College Church Facebook page. There'll be links to get involved and support that for anyone who'd like to. Awesome. Super cool. Thank you so much for sharing, Norm. Thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, guys, check that out. Avondale College Church on their Facebook page to support South Lakes. And uh, may God bless you and continue to guide your ministry. To the only God Who is able to keep us Able to keep us from falling To the only God Be all glory Majesty and power for all ages now and forevermore. To the only God who is able to keep us able. Falling to the only God Be all glory and honor Majesty and power For all ages now and Forevermore. 
everyone. We're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. And you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Bracky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. If you're making a road trip up the coast, pop in just off the highway to New Sart Juice at 45 William Street, Raymond Terrace. Grab yourself a fresh, healthy juice or smoothie and check out the op shop while you're waiting. And remember, every day is a fresh new start. rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM. And now it's come time for... Announcing. Announcing all the things that we need to announce. So what are the things that we need to announce, Tash? That's a good way to uh, plug it. That's a great way to plug it. All right, so... It's not a shameless plug, though. 
So if you have any calls or questions that you have today, like feel free to call us in, like anything about anything that's bouncing around in your mind, any questions you have about God, or anything you want to ask us about what we're studying today, or uh, even to- throw in a political one, even if you want. Please. I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but we'll do our best. We will do our best <laughs> to answer all your questions. So if you'd like to call or text in yeah. with any of your questions, we'll try and address those at the question of the week portion at the end of the show, and you yep. can do that by calling or texting zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. That's zero four nine one. Zero six four double six. Without any further ado, we're going to jump right into our Bible study in the book of John, continuing in John chapter 10, but we're going to start with a word of prayer. Tash, would you like to pray for us today? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just come to you now, and we want you to be with us as we open the word. May your spirit fill us, and may you lead and guide. And we ask as well that you just be with every listener um, that's tuning in today. And uh, yeah, may we just have a great time unpacking your word. Uh, be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So if you're following along in the Bible, we are in John chapter 10, starting in verse 22 to finish off that chapter. And then we're going to dive right into chapter 11. So God, God, jaw, not gone, John. Um, oh, you're looking at me telling me we, that I, I went. Yeah, I we're further down. Far okay, so if yeah. we're, sorry, John chapter 10, verse 31. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 10 and verse 31, excuse me. And let's start there. I, oh, okay. We're in 31. And this is just after Jesus has said, I am the Father of one. So this is like the mic drop, and this is what, what now happens. 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews, the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is not is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecr- consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John did about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Awesome. So just a quick recap leading into that, just to highlight what you said at the beginning, Tash. So remember that last week as we looked through, Jesus had talked about how he was the door of the sheep, he was the good shepherd, and that it was was through him that people would come to enter into the kingdom of God. And as he continued on in this next portion that that led into what we've just read, he, he was having this conversation with the Jews, and they had asked him, if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that we have all been waiting for, they say, tell us plainly, and he had defended himself this way. He said, I've, I've already told you. I've already told you, and you don't believe. And then he emphasizes that his works also demonstrate exactly who he is. And what I love about this is that, that Jesus had said, "I, the Father and I are one, right? We are united. We are of the same character. We are of the same nature. Now, he's not saying that he is the Father, and what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each separate and individual, Mm -hmm. right? They're not, they're not like 
one conglomerate body with three faces on it, right? They're not like, like a three-faced head as we sometimes have heard described. They're three individuals, but they're all of divine nature. They have coexisted together. They are, they are co-eternal, right? And they are, they are living out in the same exact character, the same exact nature, but in symbiotic relationship with one another. And so when he says that they are one, he's not saying, I am the Father. But notice he says things like, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So this this curious, mysterious connection that is very difficult for us to get our heads around about how the Father and the Son and the Spirit relate. But what's really neat about this is is that when he says that, it's it really connects this idea, this what we might call a Christology, our understanding of who Jesus is. He says that I and the Father are one, and he's just told them I am the Christ, right? He says, I've already told you. Right, But you did not believe. And so what's cool about this is that the connection is that when he says he is Messiah, he is declaring by the very nature of the works that he is doing that he is of the same character, of the same ilk, of the same nature as the Father God of all, right? And I love this. And the people pick up on exactly what it is that he's saying, yep. right? When he says, I and the Father are one, it's not like it's not like we might say, oh, yeah, I, I, chip off the old block, mate, you know? That's not what's coming across. They are understanding what Jesus is saying, and they're understanding that he is making a divine claim. He is claiming to have divine authority, that he is of the family of God in, this, in, the, in the highest and most supreme sense, that he and the Father are one. And so they get their rocks together to stone him, right? Now notice this. They're, they're wanting to put him to death because they believe that he is guilty of blasphemy, claiming to be God, right? He is, he is claiming something that in their estimation is beyond what he can claim. Very interesting passage. Mm. Very interesting defense that he gives of it too, using that passage. So what can we draw from this little section? What are some key things? Um, Have you got any thoughts, Tash? Well, no, I was just going <laughs> to say, because some, some of that section where, he's, where they're talking about blasphemy, um, Jesus is referencing um, Psalms 82, where where they're talking about um, you are gods, and he's referring the Psalms is referring to the Jewish nation, but Jesus, but literally Jesus is a Jew, so him being the son of God actually, because he's a Jew and a descendant of the Jew, he is the son of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because they're saying if so, if the people are gods, and then he is the descendant of them, he and he's just not blaspheming. He's actually just. Like stating what's who he is, and what, just to clarify that for those that might have missed what's going on here, the word in the Hebrew is is Elohim, yeah, which is the same word that's used at times to refer to God. At other times, it's used to refer to pagan deities, lowercase g, right in the plural. But it's also used a couple of times to refer to the angels. So it's a word that has that's primarily used to mean God, but in a couple of instances, it's used to mean God's people or angels, etc. And so he uses that as a defense. He's like, well, you can't, you can't argue with Scripture. And yeah. there's a psalm where David's writing, and he says that the people of Israel are Elohim as well, in a, in a different sense, but using that same word. And so he kind of catches them in their own, in their own thing, right? Like yeah. It's almost like catch-22. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But what he's saying is a, is a much higher claim than that, mm. right? And this is why they gather stones to stone him. He goes through, and he's like, so what good work— are you stoning me for? Are you going to put me to death for? And what I love about this is he comes back again to the works. 
to the works, to the works, to the works, to the works, to the works. What is it that reveals Jesus is of the same character and nature as God the Father? Well, over and over and over and over again, it's not just his words, but it is his works. It is the things that he is doing that are in alignment with the prophecies of Messiah, that are in alignment with the character of God, that are in fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophetic statements about who God is and who he would be when he came in the form of Messiah. So I love this. This is powerful. And to, and to add to the works as well is, again, the word for signs and Simeon that we keep seeing is because he he's visually showing them who God is in the things that he's doing. Yeah. Awesome. Now we're going to go to a song right now, and we're going to check out Steve Grace, and this song is entitled The Joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. joy of knowing Jesus and deep down in my soul forgiven and free His mercies are new every morning His steadfast love will never cease the joy of the Lord is my salvation, so beautiful to me. The I find in Jesus I will sing on my soul Forever I'm free His mercies are new Every morning His steadfast love Will never see Jesus and 
deep down in my soul Forgiven and free His mercies are new every morning His steadfast love will never cease The joy You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith the Fem, and we are up to some more. They're not shameless plugs. No, we, but anyway, we want to make sure that we you, make sure whatever that you, you call them, yeah. we would love to hear you from you and hear your questions. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of craziness going on in the world. There's a lot of things changing, a lot of things going on. And I know if you're anything like me, you you may have some questions and uncertainties. Mm. And there may be things on your spiritual journey that you have questions about too. Like, how, how do I engage with these ideas that are going on in the culture around me? How do I engage with these passages of Scripture that are not necessarily easy for us to understand? So if you've got anything that's been on your mind that you've been kind of racking your brain about that you'd like us to try and flesh out a little bit and say, what, what does the Bible have to say about that? Please send us in by call or text at any point during the show your questions, and we would love to address them. Can't guarantee we've got all the answers, but we'll do our best to try and point you in the right direction towards what Scripture has to say on the subject. And you can do that by calling or texting 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. So we're going to jump into John chapter 11. Now, we had to race a little bit today because John chapter 11 is huge, yeah. and it's a very significant chapter. And I believe we're coming up to perhaps it's the second last of the I Am statements coming up, I believe, in this chapter. So we're in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in a place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Okay, pause there for just a quick moment. I just want to highlight something. Okay, first of all, who, who are some of Jesus' closest friends according to this passage? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now this is beautiful. I love this because it, the reality is when you are living in a, in a corporeal body, living on planet Earth in the time frame that you've got to live, the reality is you can't, you can't spend equal amounts of time with everybody. And it's just the nature of being locked into space and time, right? And this is what Jesus has done by stepping into humanity. He's, he's limited his omniscience. He's limited his omnipresence. He's limited his omnipotence. omnipotence. That's the word I'm looking for. I was like, it's another omni-something, which just means all, by the way. Yeah. So he's limited himself to become a human being. 
And what that means necessarily is there are some people that he becomes closer with than others just by virtue of the fact not that he loves them any more or the other people any less mm-hmm. because there's just there's just time and there's connections and people who get what you're trying to accomplish. And I love this. So these people are so close to him and they know Jesus. They've seen him perform miracles and signs. They've seen him heal people from all sorts of diseases. And so what, what would you do if you knew Jesus and that was the case, your brother was ill? You would send to Jesus for help, right? And so they do, but I love this. This is so counterintuitive, right? So Lazarus is the one that Jesus loves, right? Like it's his close buddy. And so when he heard that Lazarus is sick, he stays two days longer in the place yeah. where he was. He says, all right, we're going to sit tight and not do anything. anything. And I love this. Why would Jesus do that? And so I want you to have that in the back of your mind. This is one one of these people that he loves dearly, that's very close. And when he finds out that he's sick and he knows he could go and heal him just like that, he says, "Not. Nah, we're going to sit still, sit tight for a moment. So let's keep reading. The disciple said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. I love this. This is such a profound piece of scripture, and it's just going to get more and more profound as we go on. So Jesus turns around and he's like, hey, it's time to go back to Judea. And what's the immediate response of the disciples? They're like, oh, man, uh, this is a bad idea, Jesus. We just left a couple of days ago, a few days ago now. You don't want to go there. They were going to kill you. Don't you remember? Are you? Don't you remember that? Right? (laughs) Yeah. And I love this. I'm sure there was concern for them about Jesus. But it sounds like there was some concern there about themselves as well. Right, And think about it from this perspective. If Jesus dies, well, I mean, that's the end of the movement. Your teacher's gone. The person you think is going to rescue Rome's gone. Uh, you might be killed for being his follower. Right? There's a lot of things in their mind to lose. So that's, their, that's where their minds are. But then he shifts gears and he says something to them very strange. He's like, hey, um, by the way, are there not 12 hours in the day? In other words, aren't there about 12 hours of daylight? Yeah. And then he goes on and he says, If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he's got light. And if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because there's no light in him. And I love this because I was thinking about it. What, What relevance does that have to what they're talking about? Well, it has this relevance. Jesus's time is short. Jesus needs to be doing what he's doing in the time that has been allotted to him. It's daytime. Don't try and sneak around and wait for night later on when it's going to be easy. It's now time to do God's work, whether it's easy or difficult. Because it's daytime and you can see what you're doing. The good, the good operates in the light of day to be clearly seen. When you are doing God's work, when you are doing the right thing, when you are doing works of righteousness, the character of God is the works of righteousness, right? When you are doing these things, there is nothing to fear about what men may do to you. 
He says, you must walk in the daytime. Because if you walk in the daylight and you're following God in the daylight, no matter hell or high water, right? Whether come hell or high water, you keep doing that. Whatever happens, you will not stumble is the point, right? But if you're trying to sneak around and do things to save your own skin and sneak around the back and do all of that stuff, he says, well, you don't have the light in you, right? Your focus is wrong. Isn't that interesting? I think it's very interesting. And then he shifts gears again, right? And in my mind, like, because, you know, it's kind of flat on the page. You don't know how long. They got to walk back to, to, to Judea on foot. Like, it takes a while. And I can imagine there's a bit of silence and confusion about what Jesus has just said. And then Jesus turns around and says to them, hey, Lazarus is sleeping. He's asleep. And everybody's like, well, well that's good because he's sick. And pretty much what's the cure for most sickness? Sleep. and Sleep it off, some right? Rest, yeah. Yeah. Um, unless you've got some sort of special medication to go with it. Just let the body do what it's going to do, and sleep is a good thing. And then he turns around and he says to them plainly, like, like, you don't get it. What's he saying? What does Jesus mean when he says that Lazarus is asleep? He's actually talking about him, his death. That's right. Yeah. He says Lazarus is dead, mm. right? And I want to highlight something here. What's really consistent throughout Scripture is this idea that sleep, sorry, that death is like a sleep, right? It says that... In Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, the dead know nothing, right? That when we die, we, we are not off doing something else, but we're, it's like a sleep. We, we cease to be participating in the things of the world, right? Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, I think it is, say that in the, the day that you die, your thoughts perish. Oh, sorry, that's Psalm 146, I think. Your plans perish, right? And so there's this consistent idea all throughout the Old Testament. When someone dies, they go to rest or to sleep with their fathers, meaning that they're put in the grave, in the ground, to rest the sleep of death until, as God says to Daniel, the day when you will be resurrected, right? The day when I will call you to arise to your inheritance. And so this idea that Jesus is putting forward is nothing new, by the way. It's mentioned over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, but Jesus makes it very plain that those who are dead, who have faith in Jesus Christ, are just sleeping, waiting for him, the one who is the resurrection and life, to call them back to life.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio. We just wanted to remind you before we get back into our Bible study that you can call or text in at any time with any questions that you've been thinking about or wondering about, or like, I just wonder, what does the Bible mean when it says this? Or what does the Bible say about this topic? Um, So we'd love to hear from you. We have a question of the week portion that we do at the end of the show, and uh, we would love to hear you. You can call or text in with those questions at any time by calling or texting 0491. 064-669. Zero six four double six nine. That number again is zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. Awesome. That's all nice. right. So let's jump back in. You can check that out when you hear the code word. Hang on for it. Get your phone on speed dial. Reckon it will be good. All right. So Jesus has just said to them, "Yeah, Lazarus is dead." Plainly, he's like, "Hey, I'm going to wake Lazarus up from the sleep of death." Mm-hmm. Okay, this is powerful. So let's keep reading. We're in verse 17. I love, by the way, their response. They're like, oh, let us also go that we may die that we may with die. him. And I never thought about this, but I wonder if what they're saying is if we can die with Lazarus or if they're saying we can die with Jesus when they stone him to death when they see that he's back. I never thought about that, but I'm not sure which one they're actually saying. Oh, well, well, maybe we'll just be like Lazarus because Jesus is leading us back to the place where they're going to stone us. Anyway, just a thought. Let's keep reading. We're in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. Four days. That's ooh, stinky. Okay. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Awesome. So there is so much going on in this little passage. What sticks out to you here, Tash? He's He's been dead four days. Yeah. What's so the significance of that? Well, I wrote down some, I like fun facts. And this is what happens to a body uh, when, when, uh, when they die. Uh, about three hours after a person has died, it's a thing called rigor mortis where you get stiff. It gets stiff, very stiff. And then about 24 hours to 72 hours, the internal organs start to decompose. And then about three to five days, um, the body bloats, the organs have decomposed, the bodily fluids leak from every orifice. And it's weird, but the skin turns green. Yeah. So there's like so this, this is. There's some stuff. There's a there's a high level of decomposition that has already taken place. Yeah. So so this is significant for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is that this is going to be something more than just hey that guy that guy's been dead on the clock for you know thirty seconds and we resuscitated him. That is not what's going on here. The fact that he's been dead for four days yeah. means that he is properly past the point of return. Yeah. significantly beyond that point because his body has been dead for days, yeah. right? And the body is literally decomposed to the point where your internal organs cannot be resuscitated or brought back to bring life and pump thing, blood through your yeah. veins, right? Like this is serious. Yeah. And in the Jewish mind, 
to be dead past three days meant you were you were you were beyond any hope, right? Because there's yeah. stories of re- of resurrection in the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha both resurrected someone from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. But notice this: the the length of time that's going on here is incredible. So this is making a huge point. And then he goes on and has this crazy conversation with Martha, right? Now, Martha comes to him. Martha's one of the sisters. You may be familiar with her. She's the, the one who's doing a lot of work um, in, the, in the house, and she's a hospitable woman. Check this out. She says these words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ouch, right? Yeah. Jesus, you're too late. You're late. And if you had been here this wouldn't have happened. There's an accusatory tone almost that I can hear in her voice. You've let us down. Why did you let us down? Why didn't you come sooner? You could have saved him, is what she's saying. And I love this because it shows the humanness. And can you relate to that? Like, like I definitely relate to it. And she's, she's grieving. And especially with the, the Jewish custom, the, the, when they bury a person, they have to bury them that day. So if you die that day, they don't wait overnight. So there's no time to like mourn the body or anything like that. The body is literally buried. And so the family is surrounding them, but they're going, they're going through a range of emotions. And so when she sees Jesus, it's kind of like, why weren't you here? Like, yeah, you, you know, you love Lazarus. We love Lazarus. And yet here he is. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And then in the midst of this, they have a highly theological conversation, whether you realize it or not. So check this out. It goes on. And the conversation says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In the midst of that accusatory tone that I hear, there's faith. Mm. And then Jesus says to her something, something astounding. He says, your brother will rise again, right? And it sounds like a future off. It sounds almost like a platitude, like it's okay. One day it will be fixed. And she gets it, right? She understands what Jesus is saying. She thinks, right? Because that's what she thinks he's saying. And she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What's she saying? She's saying, I believe in the hope of resurrection. That's a biblical concept that at the end of all things, God will resurrect the dead, right? At that point in history. Right, future history, because it hasn't yet come. But notice what Jesus says to her, right? And now what she says is not wrong, by the way. Yeah. It's not wrong. It's it's confirmed all throughout Scripture, New Testament, Old Testament. But check this out. Jesus then says to her, and I may I said this wrong, I said second last is the third last. It's number five. The fi- the fifth I am statement. He says, I, I am the resurrection and the life. And notice what he says here, and again, it's this is highly theological. In terms of eschatology, it's the study of things that will take place at the end of all things, the end of time, right? He says, now watch this. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Okay, what's he saying there? Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ and surrenders to Jesus, even though you die, when Jesus comes again, he will call you out of your grave. He will waken you from the sleep of death to resurrection and salvation and eternal life, right? Mm. But notice what he says here. He says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now check this out. Check this out. Hang on a second. All the apostles believed in Jesus and they're dead. Does that, is, is Jesus missing something here? What's going on? Notice what he says, and he who lives, right? In other words, 
those who do not die before Jesus' return, those who are alive and have faith in Jesus, when he appears in the clouds on high in glory with all of the angels at the second coming of Jesus, he says, those who are alive and have their faith in him, then they won't even die the sleep of human death. Right? And this is confirmed elsewhere in Scripture. Check this out. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, those who are dead. Right? Those who are alive and remain when Jesus comes. Speaking of those who are followers of Jesus. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first at that point in history. In verse 17 it says, Then we who are alive and remain, right, those who are alive on the earth have not been destroyed by the coming of Jesus, but are saved. They have never died the sleep of death, he says, but we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we, all of those who lived and remained and were saved and were resurrected and saved, shall always be with the Lord. And Jesus confirms that concept right here in this promise. This is scripture and song. I stand in awe. Your infinite 
are listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio. And uh, just one more time, I want to remind you, we've had one question come in, so we're excited about that, and we'll get to that after the news when we come to our question of the week portion. So thanks for your question, Sam. We'll get to that shortly. And uh, there's still time for anyone else to get in their questions. If you've got questions, could be on this topic about what Jesus says about death. It could be on all sorts of things. But if you'd like to get your questions in, you can call or text them to 491 0649- 064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. All right, so Jesus has just had this seemingly um, not theological but highly theological discussion with Martha where so many things are identified and confirmed that match the rest of the picture of Scripture about what happens when we die. Now, by the way, if there's no resurrection, there is no hope. Right, that's First oh. Corinthians chapter fifteen. If there's no resurrection, you got no hope. You will never awake from the sleep of death. You will forever cease to be. But in Jesus Christ, there is hope of resurrection, and we're going to read through as we go and find out just exactly why. So let's continue reading in verse twenty-eight because Jesus had said, "I am the resurrection and the life." When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, "The teacher is here, and he's calling for you." And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Awesome. So check this out. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she had run out 
between one and two miles to get there, right? Mm. So she'd run a couple of K to find Jesus before he even got to the village to have that conversation. And remember what she had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she also said, but even now, even now I know, right, that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. But notice the difference here between Martha's conversation and Mary's. Mary's. So when Jesus gets here, right, when she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary in private. The teacher is here. So Jesus has now arrived. He's done the rest of that two-mile walk. He's in the village, and Mary is called. And as soon as she hears that Jesus is there, you know what it says? She rose, not just she casually got up, it says she rose quickly. In other words, she jumped out of her seat to go to Jesus, not because she was excited, but because she was grieving. And she's looking to Jesus for comfort. But check out what she says, right? Watch this. Watch the similarity and yet the difference. When Mary came to Jesus, she fell at his feet, right? Now, when Martha had come to Jesus, is that what it had said? Did it say that she fell at his feet? No. No, it says that she went, she met him, and then she said. But notice the difference. When Mary gets there, she falls and collapses at his feet. There's a significant difference there. Not because Martha was unfaithful, not because Martha didn't believe, not not because any of that. But I want you to notice the difference. Mary is collapsing at Jesus' feet, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Word for word, verbatim, what Martha had said in the first half. But unlike Martha, who said, but I believe that even now you can do something, Mary has none of that left. She just is grieving. My brother's gone. Jesus, I've got nowhere else to go. And then she collapses at his feet. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Total grief, total loss. And I love that what happens here, when he sees her weeping and everyone around weeping, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Have you ever lost somebody that you love? Jesus understands the pain that you're going through. Jesus is not far away from the pain of human death, from the pain of grief. Right? He looks around and it says he was moved. He could feel it inside emotionally. Right, He understood what was going on. He felt for those people. But I want to point out something that I think is significant. Jesus already knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He just said it a moment ago. I'm the resurrection and the life, right? The point is, at the resurrection, it'll be me, not anybody else, raising people up from the grave. But notice this. He looks around, and he's, he's greatly troubled by what he sees, by all of the grief at a certain level, Right? It's okay to grieve, by the way, but notice this. He looks around. He says, where have they laid him? And they say, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the whole of the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But I want you to notice something here. Is Jesus weeping for Lazarus? Because he knows he's going to resurrect him from the grave in like five minutes. Or is he perhaps weeping for all these people around who don't have enough faith to believe who he truly is, to understand that this is the resurrection and the life, and they just don't yet get it, right? They're grieving as if he's gone forever. They're grieving as if there is no hope for him, and yet he knows if they truly understood who he was, that he was the resurrection and the life, that they could have had full confidence in the midst of their grief, not to collapse and say, ah, if you'd been here, my brother would have died, and that's it. There's no hope, and just collapse in grief, and everyone else around just crying and thinking, oh man, if he really loved him, why didn't he come around when he was sick and do something about it? And what's going on here is so profound. Jesus is demonstrating to them 
that he is bigger and beyond just physical healings for the here and now, but that he is the one, the one, the, the one who holds the keys to death and the grave, who alone will awaken the dead from their sleep and their slumber at the end of time when he returns. And yet, how are they going to believe that, right? And so he gives them an incredible evidence. Let's keep reading. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Awesome. All right, so Jesus is again deeply moved when the people say, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men also have kept this man from dying? Notice he doesn't engage in any theological conversation with these people because they're not going to get it. They're not, they're not holding on to the hope of the scriptural promise that there will be resurrection, right? They've, they seem to have been, been past that, that, that point or, or maybe not yet arrived at that understanding and he's deeply moved again. So he comes to the tomb. And just imagine the scene. And he says to them, hey, take away the stone. And everybody's like, are you kidding? Uh, we just heard the description from Tash that uh, he's bloated and decomposing. His skin's gone green. There's fluid leaking out. This is not going to be a pretty subject. What are you talking about, Jesus? And yet they do it because he says to. And so he says to them, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And at that point, they remove the stone. And I love this. What does Jesus say? What does he say? What does it say? What do you, can you read it there? Got it for me, Tash. Come on. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. Now, why does he say Lazarus, come out? Why didn't he just go over there and say, hey, come out? And I love this. When Jesus Christ says, come out of your grave, if he had not specified Lazarus, every dead body in their grave would have had to obey because this is the voice of God speaking to the creation. And so Jesus has to specify Lazarus come out because if he doesn't specify only Lazarus, then every dead person is going to be rocking up out of their graves, coming back to life, and it's not yet time for the resurrection. Right? I love this because this is the voice of God, and when the voice of God speaks, creation, nature itself, can do nothing but bend its knee and obey the voice of its maker. Isn't that profound and beautiful? And I love this. Lazarus comes out, and there's so much more that could be said. But I want to just highlight one other quick thing. Lazarus was dead, and Jesus made him alive. But he could not get out and start walking around without the help of others who were also alive. We can't do it alone, but we need that community of faith. This is the Clark family. He's all I need. need silver and I don't need gold I don't need the things of this world to 
satisfy my soul, but I need Jesus and all that He is. He's my salvation. He's why I live. He's all I need when trials come. He's all I need when there's nowhere to run. When I'm in trouble, caught in the storm, He takes care of me. He's all I need when my time comes. When I cross that river, when life here is done. He fought the battle, the victory's been won. He's all I need. Well, I don't need fortune. And I don't need fame. I don't even care if anyone down here even knows my name. Because I know Jesus. And He knows me. Cause he is the master and he's my everything He's all I need when trials come He's all I need when there's nowhere to run When I'm in trouble, caught in the storm He takes care of me that river when life here is done he fought the battle the victory's been won he's all i need he's all i need when trials come he's all i need when there's nowhere to run when i'm in trouble caught in the storm he takes care of me the battle, the victory's been won, He's all I need, He fought the battle, the victory's been won, He's all I need. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. We're having a party and you're invited. New Star Juice and the RTM Op Shop are celebrating their second anniversary with 20 days of festivities for all. At New Star Juice, we're giving away two items for the price of one for 20 days. Buy one, get one free. And the RTM Op Shop is selling bags for just $20. Whatever items from the shop you can fit in the bag is yours. Clothes, appliances, shoes, books, teddy bears. You can have it all for only $20. Don't miss this opportunity as it's only available while supplies last. Come celebrate with us for 20 days from the 22nd of November to the 17th of December at both New Start Juice and the RTM Op Shop. Monday to Friday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 45 William Street, Raymond Taylor. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM. And so now, what time is it, Robbie? Awesome. All right. So our first question is coming from Sam. And the question is, how do we become church? Right. Rather than just attend church, how do we become church? So start us off. Tash, what are your thoughts? My thoughts. Okay. So the word church um, in Greek, uh, when written in the New Testament, is the word ecclesia. And so the word ecclesia is only found a few times within the New Testament. And it has the meaning of a gathering or an assembly. And it was a word that they used in, in their time for like when people got together and they would, um, not only just gather, but they would talk and they would fellowship together. But this is the word that they use specifically for church. Now, the, the church. So Jesus talked about the church in Matthew 18 verse 20. Um, no, 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 wrong, wrong verse. Sorry. Um, where he says to Peter, on, on this rock, I will build my church. And he also mentions this word, um, Paul uses this word in Ephesians 3 verse 10 about the church. Now the church is not just one or two people. It's not a building, but it's a gathering of people who come together. And so the purpose of the church I want to just read Ephesians uh, 3 verse 10, which says this. His intent was that now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So this is the job. So I'm just going over what this verse was saying that through the church, through the church, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Through the church, we can see uh, what what work uh, Christ has has accomplished, and through through the church, we can see what the plan that God has for our life through Jesus for us. So, this is why the church was set up because it was like embodying and showing the mission of God in Jesus for us. So that's what I have. Awesome. For now. <laughs> Great point. Great point. Yeah. Another way that we could say it is that church in our modern language is often used to say that building where Christians get together on the weekend to hear a sermon and sing some songs and stuff. Yeah. So if I say I'm going to church, that what we typically mean is we're going to a service. We're yeah. going to a church service or I'm going to a program or an event that takes place in the building. And so in that sense, going to church is just basically participating in an event or a program. So the difference between going to church and being the church or becoming the church has a lot to do with, like Tash said, coming together as a community and doing the mission of God. So how do I get to be church? And I want to just point you to a couple of quick biblical examples in the book of Acts, which is basically chronicling the start of the early Christian church. And so in Acts chapter 2, Sam, it says this, that they, all of the believers in Jesus, they continued steadfastly, meaning they did this all the time, consistently with endurance, in the apostles' teaching. So they studied the scriptures, they, they studied the life of Jesus, so they learned about Jesus. That's a part of what it means to be churches, to study together. It then says, and fellowship, so they were, they were socially connected. 
They were living in a community. They, they spent time with one another. They got to know each other. They cared for each other. It says, and in the breaking of bread, so they ate meals together. So when we get together with other believers in Jesus and we share food, we are being the church. When we're caring for them, we are being the church. When we are studying the Bible together, we are being the church. And then it says, lastly, and in prayers, when we pray for and with one another, we are being the church. Then it goes on and it says they continued daily in the temple, which we would kind of say the temple would be like the church building, right? They would go to that place. But they also did all four of these things, breaking bread, in other words, eating from house to house. So what I would say there is when it comes to being church or how do we become church, it means that we we stop allowing the word church to be encompassed by a program, now, that's not to say that church services or programs are bad. They are useful and good and have a place. But if the only time that I talk about Jesus is when I go to the church building, then I'm not being church. I'm attending church. If the only thing that I do is go to a church service and then I don't, I don't spend time with other Christian believers during the week, I'm attending church. I'm not being church. If I don't share meals with other Christians and, and, try and build our relationship and grow someone else's faith and invite people along, Then, and I just do it at like the church lunch every week or something, if you're lucky enough to have a, a church lunch every week, then I'm, not a, I'm only attending church. I'm not being church. So the difference that I would say is how do we become church is we start to intentionally try to be like Jesus and invite Jesus in and talk about Jesus as we connect with other people, not just on the weekend, on the Sabbath, or maybe you, if you're not a Sabbath keeper, you may, whatever day you do that. But the, the reality is that what we do during the week, how we, how we live like Christians during the week, as well as on the weekend, as well as on the Sabbath, particularly, right? It's, it's how we live in community of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be church. So when I meet somebody on the side of the road, and, you know, because I drive a car and I can pull over and I can help them and say, God bless you at the end or say, hey, is there anything else I can do for you? Could I pray for you? That's being the church. I could just go in, into the church building on the weekend and I'll, I'll never have that impact on that person's life. Or I can attend the church service and only connect with those people once a week when I meet them there. In fact, only because they come there at the same time as me. And that's just attending church. That's not being church. But if I if I notice somebody, hey, they didn't come to church this week, I call them and say, hey, how are you going? I know I missed you today. How are you going? Can we catch up during the week? That's being the church, right? Does that make? I hope that I was asking. Does that make sense? But you can't answer because we're on the radio, not in a phone call conversation yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, and I just want to add as well. The word being it's a doing word. It's action. That's right. Yeah. So coming together and and yeah, just as Robbie was saying. Uh, we Oh, we have one more question, don't we? So we do have another question, but we're not going to have time to go through it. Sorry. So this question is from Darren. And I just wanted to say to Darren, we're going to address your question, but we're going to have to get to it next week because we're out of time. And it's a big, heavy set question. It's a great question. It's one I don't have an answer to yet that I wonder myself. And the question to just titillate all your minds so that you make sure you come back next week to uh, check out Question of the Week because it's going to be good is this question from Darren. Why is the atonement not applied to Satan and the other fallen angels? Right? 
So what's the difference? What, is there, was there a, a way of salvation for the angels? And he references Colossians 1.20 seeming to, to point to, to all created beings have a chance for reconciliation with God. So we don't have time today, unfortunately, Darren, but stick around next week, same time, and we're going to try and address that then. This is Kate Garriga, a local girl, Walk In It With Me. Jesus, I need you to do a work I couldn't do. Take this heart of stone, make it flesh and make it light. Let me see with your eyes, you love perfectly. Jesus, please be loved in me. My ears hear you say, this is the way, walk in it with me, walk in it with me, Holy Spirit please abide in my heart and be my guide in everything I do, show me truth, reveal the lie. Help me when temptations rise, bring the victory. Spirit, won't you live in me? the way 
listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM Radio, and we have come to the end of another show, so that means that it's time to do a little bit of practical application, but just before we do that, we got a, um, we got a message in from David Edgar of Ellenbrook, Perth, Western Australia, who just had a comment on... Um, mm. On being the church, so I just thought we'd read that out. He says, "He says I love how Seventh Day Adventist Christians mean a Christian group emphasizing belief in the imminent or or soon coming second coming of Jesus Christ. The Seventh Day Sabbath is the only scriptural reference to Saturday worship. So the Seventh Day Adventist isn't denomination, but a way of life honoring our precious Lord. Hallelujah, Amen. So yeah, Hallelujah and awesome. Amen to yeah. to you as well, David. And um, I love that, right? Because Sometimes we can so easily fall into the trap of thinking that because I'm a church member, because I'm a church attender, that means I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that may or may not be the case. Um, the reality is that following Jesus is not just about being a member of a church or sitting in a divine service or something of that nature. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's about following Jesus in our life by His grace through the power of His Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, so in line with that, what are some things that we can take from what we've gotten through today? Now, by the way, we have not finished John chapter 11, unfortunately. We tried. <laughs> we're, and, and I'm just, in my mind, I'm racking my brain. I'm like, there's no way we're going to get through John 12 next week. No. And uh, then it's pretty much Christmas after that. So uh, we're going to see how we go because we wanted to get through chapter 12 before Christmas. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So pray for us. We might see if we can weasel in, sneak a couple of extra minutes into the show. Uh, we'll skip a song for all you song lovers out there, sorry, so that we can talk more. Because <laughs> we talk too much as it is. All right, so what can we take away practically from this chapter thus far? Um, Jesus may be late, but he's on his way. Um, sometimes we're in a situation, no, honestly, like we're in like situations and we're praying and we're praying and sometimes we're praying for no rain and it's raining and... Um, they knew, he knew, Jesus knew that he was dying and um, he decided to stay an extra two days. And we know that he's, we know because we've seen the end of the story that he is, uh, he is the resurrection and he is life. But for somebody who's going through something like that, it's just like, wow, in the waiting. But man, just have faith that Jesus is coming. And I love that, you know, you said, you said Jesus may be late, but he's, he's coming. Yeah. And what I'd like to say there is, I want to take it even a step further, perhaps, and say that Jesus is only late in our perception, mm, right? Wow. Because Jesus, Jesus didn't come late on his terms. Mm, he knew what yeah. the terms were for when he wanted to arrive. So he appeared to come late to them. And the reason that he came late was actually intentional. Right, so he arrived. It's it's kind of like being fashionably late, only significantly more meaningful, right? Yeah. <laughs> because what he was doing was he was arriving to in a way that seemed late to them, that would allow him to demonstrate to them a truth that they did not yet understand. And this is so significant because sometimes Jesus will show up in our life and the way that he answers our prayers, etc., in ways that are not the way that we think they should be done all yeah. the time. 
And the challenge in that is that it's in those spaces that we are challenged to surrender to God's will above and beyond our own. And that, whatever the outcome, in and of itself, is a better outcome, perhaps, than the very thing that we would be praying for. Because, you know, if if Lazarus had never died, that's great. He's healed. Jesus could have done another miracle. But this is one of, if I remember correctly, just two times, no, three times, excuse me, three times, I believe, where Jesus resurrects someone from the dead. You have the little girl in Mark 5. You have the boy, the, 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 the young boy on a stretcher mm-hmm. whose mother's weeping as they carry him out for the funeral, right? Yeah. And you have this moment. So Jesus has only done this a couple of times, and the other two instances were on the day mm. or even just minutes perhaps or hours after the person had died. But this was four days later. And what's going on here is so significant because that means Jesus is going to be able to resurrect you and me at the end of time when he returns to new and eternal life in new bodies, right? resurrected eternal bodies like his body, like his resurrected body. And we have the assurance of that knowing that he resurrected Lazarus back to life. And if he can do that after four days of decomposition, there's no internal organs left, right? He can do that for us, even though we have been in the grave for who knows how long. Mm. And I love this because this tells me that we can practically have faith in Jesus. I know that doesn't sound like a real practical application, but the truth is, Sometimes the importance of hope is the thing that gives us the ability to practically do things we could never otherwise do, right? Faith is the assurance of things not yet seen, Hebrews chapter 11. And I love this. Something else that I think we can practically take out of this chapter is that even in grief, Jesus is present. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. There's nowhere else that you can go with the problems like you can go to Jesus. Because notice the range of statements that are coming from Martha and from Mary, right? They both say something that sounds very accusatory to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died, and therefore we would not be in this mess. What's what's the implication? It's your fault. It's your fault, Jesus. And there are times in our life where we we are going through that 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 experience of grief. And I want to just say something to you. Sometimes there are times in our life where we go through difficulties that are so difficult that we don't know what we are supposed to say because those are the things we're thinking. Well, guess what? If those are the things that you're thinking, this is your fault, God. Why didn't you show up? Where were you when this person died? Where were you when this fell apart? Why aren't you here? Where are you? If you're thinking those thoughts, it's okay to verbalize them to God. He knows your thoughts anyway. Bring those problems to God. Notice, Jesus didn't turn Mary away because she didn't follow up the seemingly accusatory statement, if you had been here, my brother would not have died with the, the following affirmation of faith. But I know that in the resurrection, like he will be raised. Or I know that if even now you can do something about it, right? She didn't have that statement, but Jesus didn't turn around and say, sorry, Mary, don't have enough faith, yeah. get lost, right? Notice that. And the point that I want to make is that practically speaking, when we're going through hard times, when we're going through difficulties, rather than running from God because we we think we can't bring him the problem, bring it to Jesus because his shoulders are big enough to deal with the grief. God understands. God knows. God already knows what you're thinking, so why not talk to him about it? And I love that, that Jesus is big enough and faithful enough to deal with us in the midst of our grief and our pain, even when the words that we say have not been perhaps the words that we ought to have said that God is gracious and faithful, and that he weeps in the midst of that because he longs for them to be able to have that faith that they have not yet grown 
And he goes that step further and demonstrates to them that they can have that faith in him, that there is reason to put their belief in Jesus past and beyond what they've already understood and already known. So put your faith in Jesus, my friends, and whatever's going on, run to him, not from him. Remember, my friends, that real faith is is live faith. faith.